you to open your Bibles, please, to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. Next week we'll be back in 1 Timothy in the morning service. Uh, this morning I just kind of flopped the, first, the Old and New Testament because it seemed more appropriate for the Lord's Supper, what I was preaching through in the Old Testament. But we're in 1 Timothy chapter 2, <clears throat> still discussing women and women's roles. We'll probably be there another week or two. Today there is obviously a great disdain for any gender distinctions at all. We know this. It's what we all see every day, every newspaper, every magazine, every television show, every Disney movie. No gender distinctions are allowed. And this disdain for male and female as God created started a long time ago in the garden. Paul appeals to creation, interestingly, in the text that we'll read today. He appeals to creation when he addresses these issues for the church. And the scriptures that we're addressing today are to women in church. They're to all of us, actually. But they're correcting a an error that was going on in church. So he's addressing how women act and their roles in church. Not in society, not in business, not in culture. Those are other issues, but specifically in the church body. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to talk about that this evening. Next week I'm going to spend time... So today's message is just expositing the text. Next week I'm actually going to branch off from there and show the great value that God has in women, which is behind the scenes and what Paul is writing here. But he doesn't actually bring it out in this particular text, but I'm going to do that next week as well. For our secular culture, with all its kind of throwing off of Old Testament patriarchy and all the feminism that we live in, The reality is that it's actually bondage. When you throw off God's word, there's not freedom there. There's bondage there. True freedom from oppression is found in Christ and obedience to his word. So we're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. Would you please stand and hear the reading of God's holy word? This is inspired and inerrant breathed out by God. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold and pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. If she will be saved through childbearing, yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Please join me in prayer. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we approach this text with some trepidation and we desire to hear your word, to understand what we are being told, to apply it to our lives. 
Lord, we pray that all of us would see clearly, would hear clearly, and would understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul's mission statement for the whole book of 1 Timothy, just for context, remember, 1 Timothy 3, verse 14, he says what the whole point is. That you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. He's instructing the church on how to behave, how we should get along, how we should worship. But there's a second point as well, and that's 1 Timothy 1.5. The aim of our charge is love. Everything that Paul tells Timothy and everything that Timothy tells the church and everything that should be kind of surrounding all of the teaching is love. This letter was a correction to false teachers, not a correction to women, right? So it's in that context that Paul writes what he wrote. It's a correction to false worship and to false teachers. So in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes these words for his church. This perfectly inspired letter to the church in Ephesus. So we're going to understand what he wants to tell the church in Ephesus, and we're also going to see how that applies to us in our present moment. But today we're going to discuss women's role in church. How we ought to behave in the household of God and lovingly speak the truth. Women in church. So first we're going to talk about dress. Secondly, attitude and demeanor. And third, role. Dress, attitude, and demeanor, and role. I think it helps to think of the Greek context. The Greek woman, what she lived like, what she was like. We probably aren't aware too much of how a woman lived in the Greek world. It's very different than what you experience here today. Remember, the church in Ephesus was full of Greek women. There were some Jews, probably for sure. But there were some false teachers who were taking advantage of this situation. What do I mean? The typical Greek woman of the day stayed in her house. She wasn't allowed outside. She wasn't allowed to converse with strangers. She wasn't even allowed to eat with the males in her house unless she had special permission. She isn't allowed to go in public. She's secluded into a special room for women in her home. That's the typical Greek woman. Of course, you can imagine this brought out all kinds of negative emotions for Greek women. But in general, they stayed in their women's room with the children, and this was their life. A Jewish woman had a slightly better situation. But they were still Jewish women. They could go out, but they were viewed with suspicion. Jewish women weren't allowed to be um, witnesses and trials and such things. They were certainly not in the limelight, and they were seen, seen as people to be not trusted. So you can see how there would be great opportunity for confusion in the church, because now in Christ, Paul is teaching that we're all equal, spiritually equal. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. We all come to the same cross the same way. There's no super Christian man and some lesser Christian woman. There's no distinction between male and female, Jew and, and Gentile, slave and master at the cross. So new Christian women coming out of the Greek culture and hearing this and now having false teachers who are trying to gain influence are told that they could learn with the men 
Yes. That they're spiritual equals with the men as image bearers? Yes. But that they need also to gain influence and begin teaching the men as well. And it appears that this is what was happening, that they were becoming a disturbance to worship and this newfound freedom in Christ seems to have been something that must need correcting. Paul also does this in 1 Corinthians, if you'd like to read that for context as well, in a different context anyway. But he addresses a few things. Last week, or the two weeks ago, we talked about women's dress. Um, pretty simply, women should adorn themselves not with costly attire, gold, pearls braided here, but with modesty, with self-control, with good works. So what was going on in the church? We think that what was going on is these women who had been excluded to their homes, excluded to their own little women's rooms, were now public in church. It was a coming out. And they were enjoying this, and, and they were dressing, dressing up. Declaring their independence from that old life and from their husbands. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul addresses the same thing regarding head coverings. It's a different issue, but the same attitude. Covering your head in the Corinthian church was a sign of submission to your husband. And apparently they were throwing off the head coverings and in some new independence. Refusing to cover their heads and disrupting worship. It was a declaration of independence from authority in Corinth. And here it seems that in the way they were dressing, they were declaring their independence from their husbands as well. They were dressing in a way as to be an attraction. Now that they're out of their, their houses, this temptation was very real. Dressing to be seen rather than dressing to come to worship. Gold and pearls and braids are not the issue. You can wear gold and pearls and braids and glorify God. But women should wrestle in their hearts how they dress when they go out, especially when they come to worship. Allow the Holy Spirit to inform how you look. Ladies, what's your motivation for getting dressed? Is it the glory of God or is it your own glory? Of course, we can apply the same standard to all of us. Because the Holy Spirit will work its way through each aspect of all of our lives. But this text is specifically addressing ladies. So I ask you, are you dressing modestly? Are you dressing to glorify God and honor your husband? For all of us, whatever we do, we are to do in the name of Jesus and to the glory of God, including how we dress. Secondly, he addresses the attitude and demeanor of women. These women in the church in Ephesus, again, leaving the seclusion of their homes and coming into worship, apparently they were asserting authority and being disruptive. And they were no longer showing uh, that they were under authority of their husbands. <clears throat> Paul wants the church in Ephesus to be one that reflects God's order in creation. This is a place where women are certainly honored. You, you have to realize that from the looking at it from the other side, like 
women in church were honored, highly honored and valued in a way that Greek culture did not. And as, as it should be, women are image bearers. Like men are image bearers. We bear the image of the Almighty God. But church is not a place where the God-given authority of husbands is discarded. Or the male leadership in the church. Apparently the women in the church were asserting their independence, taking over leadership responsibilities based on what Paul is saying. And he's providing a corrective. And it's interesting, it goes to creation to make the point, but we'll talk about that later. So what is the attitude that we see of a woman in worship? Those who know the special privilege of being created in the image of God from the body of the man should be an attitude. This attitude should be modesty, self-control, and submission, is what Paul says. They should adorn themselves with modesty and self-control and all submissiveness. Modesty and self-control and submissiveness are the natural outcome of all of our lives devoted to Jesus Christ. We all submit to authority, all of us. No one is, is unique in that they have no authority over them. And those who refuse to submit to authority, whether male or female, are sinful and sinning. This isn't just for women, but for men. But Paul is specifically addressing this issue. And when in church, women are to have an attitude of modesty and self-control. They shouldn't focus on their clothing. They should focus on good works. And behind it all, an attitude of submission to the authority that God's given. So, with that said, I mean, we all have to, we have to agree that submission is just, that's a bad word. Like, we don't say that, especially regarding women submitting to men in leadership. Like, if, if this were on Twitter, it would be censored. You know, this is like, it's, we can't talk like this. And yet this is, this is God's Word. As Christians, we are all called to live under authority, to submit to the governing authorities as well as the spiritual authority. And Paul is calling on women to submit to the authority that God has placed in their lives, specifically to their husbands at home and to the elders at church. Not to express this great independence that they felt coming out of their Greek homes. Speaking out against leadership and teaching or whatever. And the false teachers, it seems, had convinced the women that they were no longer bound by authority. Even that maybe they should divorce their husbands and live single lives. Why do I say that? Later in this letter, he talks about that very thing. Excuse me, I cannot see it at the, at the moment. But he says that they should stay married to their husbands. They should not live singly if they're married already. And Paul appeals to creation. I find this fascinating. You might not think at first glance that he's making a persuasive argument, but actually he's making the most persuasive argument that he could make. This is Paul the theologian. He knows his scripture. He knows his doctrine. And when he tells the ladies in Ephesus that they need to submit to their husbands and to the leaders, he says in verse 13, For Adam was formed first, and then Eve. What is he saying? He's saying that the order of creation implies leadership. God had an order, 
And this is why he did it. So that the men would be the leaders of his church. And this is God's design, and it's beautiful. And then he says, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So what this is not saying is that women are more gullible or something like that. That's not his point. His point is, whenever this order begins to be flipped, there's going to be great destruction and sin, both in creation and in the church. When God's design is ignored, great sin results. So ladies, the attitude of your hearts in worship should be one of submission. Men, the attitude of your hearts in worship should be one of submission. All of us should focus our hearts on submission and worship. Submit your heart to the authority of God's word. Receive the words spoken as if they were coming from God in his word. As much as they align with scripture, you need to conform your lives to these teachings. Finally, the role. The role that we see for women in the church. Verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. <clears throat> we spoke last time a little bit about how this word quiet is the same word that's used previously, that we live quiet and sober lives, or quiet and godly lives. It's not mute silence. It doesn't mean, ladies, you can't talk. But he's talking about the teaching ministry of church. Who stands at the pulpit? Who proclaims the word of God? Now, I think it's important for all of us to recognize that when we talk about roles in church and roles in family, we're not talking about giftings. We're not talking about ability, talent. We're not talking about God-loving men more than women. We're not talking about even sinfulness. We're all equally gifted in different ways. Most ladies are probably smarter than me in this room, right? We're all different in intelligence, and it doesn't matter whether you're a male or a female. God distributes his gifts regardless of sex. But we image our Lord in our characters, whether male or female. We're image bearers. But certainly when we use our gifts, when we use what God has given us as men or women, we're called to do that differently. We're different. Men and women are different. We just are. Men are physically strong. Women are physically beautiful. Men are generally aggressive. Women are generally more nurturing. And so on. Of course, I'm painting with a broad brush, but you get the point. And this is a beautiful gift from God. The way this works out, we all have to agree. This is wonderful that God has done this. But when we talk about spiritual gifts to the church, we're all blessed. We're all blessed with different gifts. Women can have a gift of leadership. Women can have a gift of teaching. I've been talking to Emmy over the past few years about her studies in college, and she's like, I don't know, should I study scripture and theology? Of course you should. It's the highest thing you could ever study. But I'll never get to 
to preach. That's not my calling. Well, I agree. But that doesn't mean it's not valuable to study this. And she's gifted. She's a gifted theologian. We're all called to use our gifts to bless the church. But specifically, men should lead in church. In the context of church, men should be leading and teaching. If it's co-ed in the gathering, it should be performed by men. This is difficult for the modern person to hear, for the modern ear, both male and female. It's difficult for us to hear this. We're offended by this word, and yet it's true. So ladies, with a submissive spirit, you're invited to learn. By God, you're invited to come to church and to learn. Praise God. All of us, of course, should be there. But notice first that Paul tells the Greek and Hebrew women that they are called to learn. This is something that Greek ladies were not doing at the time. They were not called to learn. This is radical in that culture. And Paul wants them in church and he wants them learning. Of course, it's different for us. I mean, everyone's in school. We all know how to read, male or female. It was different at that time. Paul wants the ladies to learn but he wants them to learn in the right way. I will say for application, ladies, your study of the Bible is not less important than your husband's. Your study of the Bible is not less important than your dad's or mine. Your study of the Bible is just as important. I get more corrective input from ladies in this congregation than I do men quite often. That wouldn't happen if you weren't studying your scriptures. You should study your Bible with all diligence. It has nothing to do with study. It has nothing to do with your love of the scriptures. Or God revealing himself to you and he will. We all have a responsibility to learn the scriptures. To learn our doctrine. To learn our theology. Male or female. Okay, you can't preach sermons. Okay, I get it. Sorry. I don't like... Vody says, I don't write the, the mail, I just deliver it. This is what the Bible says. And then you ask the questions, why? You know, I, I was asking that as well as I'm studying and researching for the sermon. Lord, why? Why? Women are often much better communicators than men. Like, why? Why won't they? But as soon as you go down the why question, you know what you find? God's sovereignty. It's like the clay talking to the potter. Why did you make me this way? It's none of my business. God's order in this world is beautiful. His order in the church is beautiful. And it's the way it is. So remember the entire letter is rebuking false teachers. That's the entire letter to Timothy. Encouraging Timothy to be a good pastor and rebuking (laughs) the false teachers and the false teaching. He wants sound healthy, beautiful doctrine and teaching to be established in the church and to remain in the church. So this instruction to women is just a small subset of the entire letter. There were so many things that were wrong in this church, and he's correcting each one. And these restrictions, remember, are not grounded in culture. Like that's the current argument is this is all basically old Greek stuff. Like today we're, we're so far past that has nothing to do with the modern church. But this is not grounded in culture. Paul's argument, as we have seen, is grounded in theology. Paul goes straight to creation. 
And in 1 Corinthians, he does the same thing. He goes straight to creation. So there's a temptation for, I believe, women to receive this badly. There's also a temptation for men to receive this Word of God badly. And we've seen this probably all through the history of the world. I think the men need to remember that the entire reason woman was created in the first place was because Adam realized that he could not do the job God had given him by himself. He could not. And God knew he could not. He wanted Adam to see that he could not. Man needs woman, and woman needs man. This is true today. It's true in church. For this church to operate, all men and all women need to be using their gifts to love each other, to enrich the body of Christ. Is the role of the role of a woman in church any less than the role of a man? No. Can the eye say to the knee, I don't need you, or using Paul's analogy? Can the ear say to the, to the toe, I don't need you? No, we all need each other. The body of Christ is set up to work best with each one of us doing what God has called each one of us to do, men or women. <clears throat> Ladies, don't be offended by God's word and withdraw. That's sinful. But more than that, you're depriving the church if you do that. You're depriving the church of the gifts that you have that we need as the body of Christ. God in his providence does only what is good. This is a good thing. It's God's design and it's good and it's beautiful. Obeying God with joy in every area of our life is the only real freedom that we all have. God's design is that women should not teach or have authority over a man in church. That's his design. And then we conclude with this last scripture, this last bit of hope. It's this hope that he has. He's, he's doing what Paul does, which is provide a correction, but after the correction... He immediately goes to hope, a word of hope. But this particular word of hope has caused great confusion. Look at what he says in verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. There's a whole lot written about this verse, and it makes my brain tired. Paul is concluding this rebuke of the Ephesian church regarding women and their service, this particular part of the letter, with a message of hope. And this message is slightly confusing. So first of all, what does it not mean? Nobody thinks that Paul is implying that women are actually meriting God's favor by having children. Everyone agrees that that's not what Paul's saying because it just doesn't match the rest of Scripture. It doesn't match what Paul has written before about all of us being under wrath, hopelessly deficient, dead in our sin. Compared to the holiness of God, even our best works, even childbearing, and that's more than anything I'll ever do, it's filthy rags. So what is the message? What is Paul saying? I think the most helpful thing I read was comparing it to Philippians 2.12 which says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have 
always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's the same root word when he says that she will be saved through childbearing. Work out your own salvation. And this is the word that means save. It's sozo. It's it's salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Probably Paul is highlighting the plain fact that for the great majority of women in every age, they will work out their salvation in the context of marriage and family. There was a movement in the Greek churches, like, like we talked about, that encouraged women to leave their responsibilities at home, to leave it, to divorce their husbands and live single lives. And only in this way would they truly experience what God had for them. Only in this way would they reach their full potential. They had to reject their duties to their husbands, to their children, and strive to remain as single as possible for as long as possible to really serve God. And, of course, this is the message of our culture, only not to the service of God. It's the message of our culture for women in general. Reject the fact that you're a biological female. This has nothing to do with you. But these are not our priorities in the church. Married women in church have different priorities. It's not leadership or preaching or career or anything else. A married woman in church should focus on the basics on loving her family and faith and love and holiness with self-control. He's getting women out of this idea that they left this secluded area of their home, now they're in church and all that's behind them and they can just leave the family. They can leave their husbands and leave their kids because now they're free in this new Christian church. And he's saying, no. No, go back. Go back to what you know is right. in faith and love and holiness with self-control. There's also some thought, and I think there might maybe some merit there, if you look at the pronouns that are used in verse 15, yet she will be saved through childbearing, potentially meaning Eve, who produced an heir to uh, this royal line that would eventually culminate in Jesus Christ, the one who would crush the head of the serpent. Because then it says, if they continue, all the descendants of Eve, if they continue in faith and holiness and love. I think that's not as as powerful really as the first point I made though, which was just don't be distracted by these other things. Ladies, serve where God has planted you. Really for all of us, for men or women, it's only in Jesus Christ that we can ever hope to find any fulfillment in life. Only in Christ. If you leave the standard of Christ and his gospel, you're always, whether male or female, you're going to depart the way of goodness, the way of life. You remember when I think of ladies serving their husbands and their families, what a high calling. Remember Jesus. He was the Son of God. He left the throne of God and came to earth, not as a king, as a slave to all. He created everything and he came and he laid down his life. He was literally poured out like a drink offering, serving those whom he loved. 
when you think of helper in the Bible, besides women being helpers to their man, where we see that word most often used is God. God. We can talk more about that next week. Jesus was the most gifted man in all of history, the most intelligent, the most wise. And he lived the life of a poor itinerant preacher and he laid down his life to save his sheep. This is an inspiration for every man and every woman in this room. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word cuts slices right through culture at a 90 degree angle. Lord, it cuts through the currents of culture like a dam stopping up a river. Lord, we thank you that you give us clarity in your scriptures. You give us clarity in your word. We pray that the beauty of your creation, the beauty of being created male and female, uh, would be evident in our church and in our lives and in our families. Lord, whether the ladies in this room are single, are young, are old, are widows, are married, Lord, we pray that each one would find their full satisfaction in life in pursuing you, that they would know the deep and powerful love that you have for each one of them as their father, they as your little girls. Lord, wrap them up in your love, encourage their hearts in the duties that you've given them, and bless them. In Jesus' name, amen.